Well, I think this is one of those Sundays where the younger you are, probably the better you're feeling physically this morning. I know for me, it's, it's not the work in the moment, it's the recovery period that, where I get affected the most. Uh, but it was awesome being out there with everyone. I think we had our best day of weather uh, in all of our years of volunteering up there. But I thought what we did yesterday is going to go along great with what we're talking about today because the sermon title is Chasing Character. I want to start over in Romans chapter 5. You know, character is different than just an action. An action is something you do. You could do it once. It's, you know, every married couple knows this if your spouse uses the word always or never, you will search your memory banks for the last 10, 20 years to find the one time where your action was different than what they said. But character is kind of the consistency of behavior. It's, it's who you are. Uh, you know, I walked around all of our different projects that we did uh, Yesterday afternoon at Carousel Ranch with Becky and Denise, who direct the program. And uh, they were telling me about some of the comments that uh, parents of the students, the autistic students, were making comments while we were there. And uh, one guy said, you know, it's amazing. We've been coming here for years and years and years with our daughter. And we've seen all kinds of groups at Carousel Ranch. But this is the first one we have seen that actually does a lot of work. You see, sometimes in our life, we're trying to think, how can I create isolated action? You know, I just want to be able to do something good right now. And yet when the Bible talks about character, it's talking about the sum total of our behavior. It's the consistency of action. It's changing who we are. And so, you know, every group, I don't care what they accomplish, has somebody that did something good while they were there. But what stood out yesterday was the consistency of the action across the board, over 170 people doing all kinds of great works, and that was the thing that made the impact. As a Christian, what we're looking for is not just a highlight moment. Were you loving last week? And you go, yes. Tuesday at 8 a.m., I did a really loving thing. No, as Christians, it should define our life. Our character should be different than what the world offers. And in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured it uh, out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The Bible talks about building Christian character and what the result is. It it starts with suffering. But, you know, suffering does not produce hope. You know, you you can persevere through suffering 
and keep grinding it out week after week, month after month. But if it doesn't become part of your character, you can just be a resentful, bitter person. So perseverance in and of itself doesn't necessarily produce character. Now, the fact is you're not going to get the character without perseverance. But perseverance is just a stage that takes us from suffering to character. Now, what's the good news about character? Character produces the hope. Character produces the good thing. And so we've got to change our sum total to get to where we want to be. And so we can't just think, if I just grind it out long enough, then I'm going to get to that hopeful, happy, glorious phase of life that I always want to attend. No, we can't miss the step of character. It's got to become who we are. It's got to become second nature and not just an isolated action. We're going to spend most of our sermon in 2 Peter chapter 1. Talking about character. You know, as the year begins, as we're getting back on track, you you got your mindset on a lot of goals, a lot of desires, a lot of things that you want to achieve. You know, have you thought about character? Have you thought about saying, I want to change deep down who I am? I want it to be second nature. I don't want to just look back at 2012 and go, hey, I accomplished a few great things. I want to really change who I am. Well, we start in verse 3 and 4, and it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You know, what Peter wants us to know is we've got all the right resources at hand. You know, imagine uh, if, if we came to Carousel Ranch yesterday and, and, and people said, all right, what are we going to do for projects? And I said, okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take that, that ugly old stage and we're going to tear it down and then we're going to rebuild it and paint it so it's going to be this amazing stage. And they say, okay, that's awesome. So where's the wood? Oh, well, we don't have any wood. Um, where's the paint? Uh, you know what? We're fresh out of paint. You go, well, how do you expect us? I mean, we could do the tearing down part. But how are we going to rebuild it if we don't have the wood, if we don't have the paint? Yeah, and then over at the office, we could say, well, we're going to do some landscaping there. Okay, what shrubs are we going to plant? Well, we don't have any shrubs. You know, yesterday was a success because we had the right resources. We had Starbucks Christmas blend. Oh, yeah. You know, if you want to get the workers amped up and get the most useful labor out of them, the best thing you can do Pump them full of a few gallons of Starbucks Christmas blend, and, uh, yeah, they crank. I mean, we had donuts. We had bagels. We had juice. We had fruit for the healthy people. It was awesome. We had all kinds of resources there, and we had lots of manpower 
and women power. You know, I want to be politically correct, you know. Don't want to offend anyone. You know, sometimes you can endeavor to change something and go, oh, man, I, I tried. But I just didn't have what I needed to get the job done. I didn't have all the resources. I should have done more work to get these things set up. You know, it's like trying to cook and not having all the ingredients on the recipe list. Hard to complete the dish. You know, I'm missing these things. You know, God is saying, when it comes to your character, I will supply every resource that you need. You know, the Bible says everything we need for life and godliness. Not most of it. Not almost all of it. Not, I'm going to do 90%, and then the next 10% you need to come up with. God says, okay, when it comes to resources, I'll make sure you have an unlimited supply of every resource you would ever need or think of to change your character. That's pretty awesome. And he says, man, I'm, I, not only do you get all the... the the supplies, but I'm giving the encouragement along the way. I'm giving you these great and precious promises. You know, we didn't have like a whole bunch of cheerleaders there at Carousel Ranch yesterday. Oh, come on. You can do it. It's awesome. You're doing the best job I ever did see. You guys are amazing. You know, I don't know if that would have been encouraging or annoying if we had it, but we didn't have it yesterday. But you know what? God, every step of the way, when we say, I'm going to change who I am, he's right there going, man, look at these promises I made to you. Make sure you read them. Make sure you got them down deep because I will help you. You will be victorious if you don't give up. Then he gets down to verse 5. And he says, for this very reason. Well, we just read what the reasons were. Man, you, you can be a part of God's divine nature, and He's given you everything you need because of all of that good stuff. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, and knowledge, self control. And to self control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. It says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, if we're going to change our character, what's the goal? Never to arrive. It says, we need to possess these in increasing measure. Even the things we're good at, we can get better. But it gives us a list of character-forming habits, traits, Things of who we are. So let's go through each one of those. It says your faith. Your faith. Your trust in God and His Word. Your trust in the moral standard that the Bible lays out. Your trust in the salvation doctrine. Your trust that His promises are true. Your belief that He will reward you if you earnestly seek Him. Your belief that He exists that he created the universe, that he gives us life and breath and everything else. How are you in your faith? 
Are you more faithful this year than you were last year? You know, we should always be growing in our faith. So here's, here's a good way to think about this. What does it take to get you to have doubts? And then ask you the, yourself this question. Is it always the same thing? Do you have the same, same hang-up? Well, I'm not sure if God loves me because this. And it's the same doubt you've had week after week, month after month, and year after year. If you struggle with that, you're not growing in your faith. Invent something new to have a doubt about. You know, as we grow spiritually, it should take more suffering. It should take more hardship to lead us down the path of doubt. You know, as, a, as a young Christian, you know, you got those highs and the lows. You know what? As an old Christian, you're still going to have highs and lows, but... but they should be different. Yeah, that's why wisdom uh, as an older Christian is such an advantage. Because as a young Christian, you don't have that perspective. Now, if you've been a Christian for you know more than 10 years or 20 years, you've seen God move and work in such a variety of situations. Somebody's like, oh, I don't know what to do, and I'm not sure if God's with me. And you can give them a hug and go, listen, God's going to come through. And you believe it. You know why? Because you've seen him come through again and again and again and again. But you know what? When you were that age spiritually, you probably thought the same thing. But we grow in our faith. Say goodness. You say, what's, what's goodness? Well, it's, it's just general moral excellence. You know, it's being... Above average in the good department. You know, it's, it's doing your part. It's doing what's right. You know, imagine uh, getting a new treadmill thinking, okay, I'm getting this treadmill because I'm going to lose weight. And then after a month you go, I'm getting rid of this dumb treadmill. I didn't lose any weight. People said, well, how many hours have you run on it? I didn't run on it at all. You know, sometimes that's really what goodness is all about. you got to do the basic right thing. And you better be as a Christian above average in it. But sometimes we don't. We make dumb decisions. We make stupid and sinful decisions. And we're just flat mediocre in obeying the commands of God. And then we go, I don't know about Christianity. It's like, you know what? I got an idea. Why don't you actually be committed for a week or a month and see what you think about Christianity then? You, know, it's, 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 you never find people who are doing well spiritually going, I'm not sure if I want to stay a Christian. They're always making that evaluation when they're doing horrible. That's like when people study the Bible and they're in the battle for what are they going to do and then they give the Heisman to the people studying with them. You know, the spiritual stiff arm. Oh, it, you know, it sounds better than that. It's like, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I got this going on with the kids. Oh, I got this with work and I got that and I don't have time. But that's really what it is. It's the Heisman. 
Because you know what's amazing? You never will give Satan the highest name. And so they're like, oh, I just got to evaluate. Okay, let's think about that logically. I'm not going to do the good things, but I'm going to keep doing the bad things, and now I'm going to make an objective decision of my spiritual life. That doesn't make any sense at all. You know, if we're prone to that kind of thinking, we need to grow in the goodness category. You know, like failing an exam. Well, how long did you study? I didn't study at all. Well, give yourself a chance. Come on, be good. Be a good student. Maybe you're not going to be an amazing one, but be a good one. Moral excellence. Talks about knowledge. Not talking about, you know, just plain old facts. It's talking about spiritual knowledge. Knowledge of the Word of God. Wisdom. How to apply the Word of God. Insight into Scriptures. Discernment of what it means. How to help somebody change. You know, knowledge of, of helping the human heart. Do you know more now than you did last year spiritually? We should. You know, I was having a talk with somebody, and I go, you know, what I, you know what I found with my scripture memory? Is now that I can look everything up in an instant, there's passages that I used to have memorized. And now I have to search for them in, in my phone. It's like you get lazy in your mind because you can rely on electronics. You know, be, before the exhaustive concordance was about a 20-pound book. And so you didn't want to lug that thing around. And there's times where you were, you were just hoping that the little mini concordance in your Bible happened to have it. And if it didn't, you're like, man, what am I going to do now? Now it's just like, hey, yeah, I don't know where that verse is. I'll just look it up. Are we growing in our knowledge? Are we going deeper with the Scripture? You know, as a young Christian, I remember I, I used to be satisfied. I, I'd read a chapter or two of the Bible, and I'd read it two or three times, and what do I think it means? And then all of a sudden, that started becoming boring, and I realized it wasn't going deep enough. So then I started, I bought a, a Thompson Chain cross-reference Bible that has all these different references of how the passages are linked together in other uh, chapters and books of the Bible. And so then I'd, I'd study it through and I'd follow all those different cross-references. And then after doing that for a while, I was like, okay, I'm finding my Bible study, you know, kind of boring. So then I started getting commentaries. And that would be, you know, in some cases a five, six, seven, eight hundred page book that goes into all the different details of what the Bible's scholars say all about one book of the Bible. It might be like 50 pages of stuff. I remember once doing a study on the book of Revelation. I was teaching it uh, midweek in the valley, and, and I called Doug Jacoby, and I said, Doug, you know, I wanted to talk with you about this one specific instance in Revelation. I think it was chapter 5 in these verses, and, you know, here's my thoughts, and I want to talk you through. And so we had a good long talk, and he goes, hey, I got a few notes on chapter 5. I'll send them to you. 
kid you not, 60 type pages of notes that he had made. That's why, you know, he's got like three brains. Um, but I thought, you know what, if, if we are constantly going deeper in the Word of God, the Scriptures never are boring. You can read the same passage ten times, and then all of a sudden you become a parent. Not, actually, that's a kind of a good pun. Um, a parent, two words, and then something becomes a parent. And you, something hits you. If you're getting that now, that's awesome. Hey, that's pretty good for a chemistry major right there. I didn't have that in my notes. And all of a sudden a passage hits you and you're like, I've read that a hundred times and it never clicked. And now because I'm in this different phase of life, I read it and, and it just connects. You know why the Bible can do that? Because it's living and active. It's not some dead book of words. See, if you're growing in your knowledge, you will never go, my Bible study is boring. And let me just say this. I love supplemental reading. Stuff you may find at the Christian bookstore. But too often, we substitute that for personal shallowness in our own Bible study. We can get lazy and go, I don't want to have to go deep. So... I'm just going to see what some other author tells me the Bible means. Oh, good, now I know. Listen, we should always look at spiritual books as a supplement to our own personal Bible study and never, ever a substitute for it. You with me on that? We need to grow in our knowledge. Self-control. So what areas of self-control? Maybe it's your emotions. You know, God gave us our emotions. Emotions aren't bad. God gave them to us. But we can be absolutely out of control with our emotions. Proverbs have all kinds of things to say about it. The fool shows his annoyance at once. I'm just real. I just show who I am. Well, the Bible says you may be a fool. Emotions are good and right. But they need to be kept in check. Ephesians 4 uh, tells us, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We need to be self-controlled in our words. We need to run it through the beneficial for other person's needs filter. The Bible never tells us, you know, just vent how you feel and get it off your chest and then you'll feel better. The Bible never commands us or tells us or suggests that that's a good thing. It says, no, whatever comes out of your mouth, you need to think, is this what the listener needs from me? If so, I'll say it. If not, I'm not going to say it. How about in our weight? You know, we don't need to be perfect physical specimens. On the other hand, we should have good general overall health. And, and our, our weight is a reflection of a lack of self-control in the area of eating. 
If you, if you weigh too much, it's because you're eating more food than what your body needs to survive. As we get older, our metabolism slows down. I hate that. That's like the only thing I hate about growing older. But it's a battle. It's a battle to work out. It's a battle to eat less. Because I like food. Pat Sweeney was telling me about this special juice diet he's on. And he goes, it's good for people that have food issues. And I go, if I went on a 10-day green goopy juice diet, I would have a food issue. I remember, you know, fasting for seven days, water and coffee only for seven days. And uh, I remember Dave Eastman was discipling me at the time, and he he was a big believer in fasting. And he goes, it's awesome. Because after about like day three, somewhere in day four, you stop getting hungry. And you just like get so in tune with the Spirit in a way you never have before. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Day one, I was hungry. Day two, I was hungrier. Day three, hungry beyond belief. But I was hoping for day four. Day four was just like, oh, my goodness, I'm so hungry. And, and day five, and Dave's like, hey, how's it going? Have you, you, know, you made it over? And I go, Dave, this isn't helping me get close to God at all. I, I, I think about food all the time. I try and pray, and my mind drifts to foods I don't like, like Brussels sprouts and lima beans. And I think, you know, I, I would eat a whole bowl of those with butter and salt on them right now. I'm like, I really like food. <laughs> that's not a revelation to you guys. So that's, that's part of my challenge when I have to lose weight. It's because I've got to stop eating everything that I like to eat. But that's only part of it. Then I also have to, have to work out. So, you know, it's two sides of it. Self-control. I talked about being grumpy. That's another area of self-control. Just venting how you feel, you know, which I addressed a little bit. You know, but I think this is a, a guy thing, you know, anger. Are, are, you, are you an angry person? What is your spouse? What are your roommates? What do your kids think? Are you self-controlled in the area of anger? Drinking, drugs, and even ones that are prescribed. You say, well, my doctor gave me a prescription. You can still get addicted to it. You can still start requiring it to function. How about purity? Mental purity? Physical purity. What would you do to be pure? How far would you go? Would you get rid of the TV? Would you get rid of Internet access? Oh, no, 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 no. i got to have it. I really want to be pure, but i got to have Internet access. You know, there, there was a time in our life where we didn't have Internet access. If you were alive in the 80s, or the 70s, you know this time. 
we got along quite well without internet access. Now I love, you know, what all that offers, but it's not worth our soul. We we got to grow in this area. Self-control. It says perseverance. Perseverance is suffering for a period of time. How do you define perseverance? Usually it's however long I've been suffering with the thing that I want to change. That's perseverance. You know what? The the challenge with perseverance is God determines the end point, not us. And that can be a real challenge because if you set your mind on here's how long this is going to take, then you can get bitter. You know, imagine running a marathon and as you turn a corner for the final 0.2 miles, you know, it's 26.2, and as you turn the corner for that final stretch, they go, oh, by the way, the race has changed. It's now 30 miles. That would be very hard mentally and physically. But sometimes we, we fall in the area of perseverance because we've come up with the timeline. And so we pace ourselves and we go, here's how long it's going to take. It's going to take just this long to find a spouse. It's going to take just this long to find a new job. It's going to take just this long to change this part of my character. And then it doesn't happen when we wanted it to. And that's when you're tempted to quit persevering. Say, are you growing in your ability to persevere. You know, only if you're pushing that envelope where you feel like quitting are you going to grow in your uh, abilities. It's like the weight room. You know, they say the last couple reps with the weight, when you just feel like quitting and you, and you, you work hard, it's that muscle breakdown that regrows muscle tissue to make you stronger. If you just lift a few times and go, well, that was easy, and you stop, and you don't get to that point, you don't rebuild stronger. You're toned, and that's nice, but it doesn't. you don't get stronger. You know, if you're weak in the area of perseverance, you, you give up before it hurts. As soon as it starts to get a little uncomfortable, we stop. We need to grow in this area. We need to go by God's timing. You know, Jesus said, give me, give me the humility to make it through this. You know, sometimes we focus all our energy. God, make it stop. Instead of going, God, give me the strength. God's like, I'll make it stop as soon as you change. Godliness, next on the list. It's a reverent lifestyle. Say, how much do you blend into the world? Think of it in, that, in those terms. You know, you got two ends of the spectrum, like God or like the world. The music you listen to, how would God feel about it? The movies you watch, the clothes you wear. You go, well, it's popular. Yeah, the world, you know, a lot of things 
are popular in the world. That doesn't make it right. Cheating on your spouse is popular in the world. The Bible says not to do that. Being mean and self-centered is popular in the world. But that, that doesn't mean we're supposed to do that. Just because it fits into the world is never a justification to fit into their, um, the, the worldly mode. God is calling us to be an imitator of him. So do you have a reverent lifestyle? If you do, you won't blend in with the world. There'll be a lot of differences between how you live, what you consider to be important, your priorities, your goals, you know, how you relate to one another. It, that should be radically different than what's represented in the world. Say, so are, are we growing in our godliness? Second to last on the list, brotherly kindness. That's like the family life in the church. Bob says church needs to be family. You know what? You can use the title, but are you like family? Are you there for one another like family? You know, with family, there's a commitment. There's a responsibility. There's a camaraderie. It's not just attending. You're not like family because we attend. In many ways, what we do as family is what we do outside of the, you know, the church service. It's the relationships. It's the encouragement. It's the serving. It's the bearing one another's burdens. It's the praying for and with one another. Helping them move. I always say that's the test of your friendships. When it's time to move, who will help you pack the moving van? Brotherly kindness. You know, sometimes we get faked out in this area. You know why? Because everyone else in your family is called to be loving and brotherly kind to you. So you think, oh, man, I'm awesome because all these people love me. Well, they're commanded by God to do that. We're commanded to love our enemy. You could be, you could be a horrible Christian and people will love you. That doesn't necessarily mean you're cranking in the area of brotherly kindness. You know, are you the initiator? Do you set up time? Or is everybody else always the one that calls you and says, hey, let's get together? You know, finally, it says love. And that's the word agape. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's not a friendship love. It's, it's a love where, where you put yourself on hold to meet those needs. You know, this is this, the list that Peter's saying, man, God's given us all the resources. Go after your character. You say, well, what should I go after? Hey, here's a list. Here's a good place to start. Yeah, like I said before, do not look at this list and go, okay, I'm going to change all eight of these things. No, you're not. You'll change none of them if that's your mentality. Figure out what you're not good at. You know, maybe rank them one to eight, best to worst. You know, we can grow in all of them, but we need to have some focus points. You know what I think is the fastest way to change one of these areas? Well, figure out which one it is. Find somebody, one or two people, that are excellent in that area. And then say, okay, 
Tell me what you do. And then do exactly what they tell you to do. Follow directions. You know, if you're kind of self-centered in the fellowship and you just like everyone to radiate energy on you, find somebody who's really giving and watch them. Because if you're wired that way, it can feel uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, to make that change, you're going to have to cross over some barriers. And, uh, you know, that leads me to Luke chapter 9. Because here's a key point when we change our character. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a few things going to be necessary. One is deny yourself. Now, think about what that is by definition. That's when the self is saying, no, I don't want to do it. I hate this. It's boring or it's too hard and I'm not going to get there. That's when the self is crying out going, there's no way I'm going to do that. That's when Jesus says, okay, so if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to tell that person that way of thinking, be quiet. Leave. Because I'm going to do it. You know, sometimes there, there are uh, things in the Christian life that we just are wired to love doing. That's not self-denial. That would be like, you know, a wife saying, oh, you know, I am really submissive to my husband except for when I disagree with him. It is only submission if you disagree. If you agree, that's just agreeing. If you already want to do it, that's not self-denial. That's just wanting to do it. Go, I'm really good at self-denial unless I don't feel like doing it. It can only be self-denial if you don't feel like doing it. So you're with me here. You know, see, that's deeper Bible study right there. But you've got to make it practical. He said you've got to deny yourself daily. That's another part of, of the pursuit for character. You cannot say, Monday morning is when I really focus on changing my character. You know, that's the slot I've allotted for it. You know, once a week I'm really going to focus on it. Yeah, I can tell you what's going to happen with your character. Nothing. You will not change a part of your character unless it is daily and passionate and purposeful. You're going to have to pray about it all the time, every day. You're going to have to get a lot of input. You're going to need people holding you accountable. You go, well, I don't like that. Fine, then don't change your character. You see, when it's hardwired into us, we got to have help to break out of those barriers of the, you know, and the ruts that we've gotten stuck in. Say, deny yourself. Take up his cross daily. 
You know what the cross is about? It's a higher motivation than us. And if you remember where we started last week on our journey is, where, where, where was our focus? It's on God, right? It's all about Him. He needs to become more and we need to become less. I don't care who you are, but anytime you run into a character challenge, if you're starting to feel yourself complaining either verbally or in your heart or doubt, just stop at that moment and start meditating on the cross. Think about what Jesus went through. Think about why he went through it, what it looked like, what experience it was. You know what? You take that cross, you'll, you'll quit complaining. I mean, what complaint do I have that I go, well, Jesus, you know, I know the cross was hard, but you don't understand my life. There's not one thing we can ever come up with answer to that question. It's going to take self-denial. It's going to feel funny. It ought to feel different because we're, we're going to be a whole different person. We're not trying to isolate one behavior and just go, on Thursday I'm going to really be a brotherly, kind person. We want to be our character, a part of who we are. I want to close over in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 20 to 24. Paul says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul said there's an old self and a new self. The new self has Christ as the character. He says we're not trying to just kind of ramp up. We're doing a whole restoration project. He says you throw off the old self and you put on the new self. Now the greatest news for you and I this morning is that godly character is possible for each one of us. Say, so what's the goal? Ever increasing measure. Because how 2 Peter 1 closes out, it says, you know, if you don't, then you're nearsighted and blind, and you've forgotten you've been cleansed from your past sins. You know, when you're nearsighted, you can only see what's just right in front of you. You don't have an accurate perspective of life. You're just absorbed with what's right in front of your face. You know, the Bible's not saying, hey, you know what? You are so attentive to those things. I'm so proud of the way that you're able to focus on everything right there in front of you. No, it's a condemnation. You don't have the right perspective. It's like you change your character and you'll get there. It says it will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are saved to do good works. Our salvation is not the end of the line. We're supposed to do something with it. Are you being productive? Are you effective in your Christianity? You know, sometimes we feel like, man, I'm just not... I'm not helping people the way I want or, you know, I've got these visions and plans, but I'm not living it out. 
You know, God says it comes down to Christian character. If you're not growing in your Christian character, you're not going to get to this final end stage. In Romans it says, character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. We can't skip steps. We've got to chase after character. It's an awesome goal for 2012. Which one of those areas are you going to go after? Which weakness are you going to make into a strength? Are you willing to be honest and open with your life? If you're visiting with us, will you dive into God's Word? Ask the person who brought you to study the Bible with you so you can get close to the Word of God You so you can know firsthand what God's will for your life is. Because the world has its plan, but it's empty in the end. God has an amazing plan. And if we can chase that character, we'll get to that hopeful end. The glory of God, the divine nature. God's given us all the resources. We do our part. We will get there. Amen. Let's stand as we close.